Welcome to Ideas with Purpose, a podcast about companies and their leaders who are approaching their industries and the world differently. I'm Robert Dowling, founder and CEO of Hudson Cutler. Today, I'm talking to Nimit Sawney, CEO of Votes. Nimit has been hard at work creating a safe and secure mobile balloting solution for people with disabilities, men and women serving our country overseas, and others requiring absentee ballots. At a time when there are many forces attempting to restrict access to voting, Nimit and team are fighting to expand it. In the midst of coronavirus and other issues, the topic has never been so important. Nimit and I spoke via Zoom from his office in Boston. He told me about his experiences bringing votes to market, the dozens of successful pilots across the country, and the challenges he has been facing from the opposition. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Nimit, as always, it is uh, great to have the opportunity to spend some time with you. Uh, Let me start by um, uh, talking about your origin story. Votes was conceived when you and your brother won a hackathon at South By that you didn't even plan on attending. Uh, Can you tell me how that came about? Sure. Firstly, thank you, Robert, for having me here. Um, Yes, so the the origins of the company are purely accidental. Um, We were going through a tough phase within the family and decided we need a break. So we always wanted to go to South by Southwest and ended up there. And on one of the Sundays, it was raining and we ventured into one of the convention halls where a bunch of different things were happening. And I went into the arena where the hackathon was just you know, getting started. And um, what initially attracted me was was this like really fancy free food and and then as I started uh, looking at the competition um, there was um, there was a cash prize there was uh, 30 minutes with a potential investor and uh, there was one bitcoin and that kind of really intrigued me and then the the overall theme was hack to the future so so I invited um, Simmer brother to come into the, he had ventured off into another session and I said, no, you should come and check this out. And so we started reading the paper and got intrigued and figured, well, it's uh, nothing better to do on a, on a rainy Sunday. So we ended up uh, participating and um, you know, designing a, a new election system that used, uh, used the blockchain as one of the security tools in addition to a smartphone and you know remote identity proofing and had some capabilities to detect coercion um, in a remote scenario uh, so some of the things we had kind of seen growing up uh, back home in the 80s and so that combination of that um, ended up being a prototype we pitched it on stage and to uh, utter surprise and perhaps horror, we ended up winning the first prize. That that was the uh, purely accidental origin. And then after a few months of uh, research, uh, we ended up starting the company in 2015. It it sounds as much serendipity as it does uh, accident. Um, And and we're absolutely glad that that it happened. Electronic balloting is such a massive topic, especially today. It's 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 really become even a bigger topic. Um, what was the specific problem that you and Votes 
were initially trying to solve? What 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 part of this um, you know big uh, hairy question did you want to address? Um, that that's a great question. So when we when we initially started um, in 2015, um, we started looking at um, election data, and the the most recent data at that time was 2014 from the 2014 election, mm. uh, the midterms, and um, what really stood out was the extremely low participation in local elections, and then also in the midterm general, only a third, perhaps one of the lowest uh, ever participation rates, only about a third of the electorate voted. And when we dived in deeper into the local election side, uh, major cities and towns, it was at best, you know, 12, 14%. On an average, it was, you know, high, mid to high single digit participation. And that was very, very surprising because it almost felt like local elections matter more and, you know, because they are more day-to-day, whereas the national politics are more kind of in the news, and whereas the participation was completely flipped. And so um, we we were at a stage where smartphones were really taking off. So if you look at the trajectory of, you know, smartphone adoption, it's been... Um, one of the fastest in sort of human history when a certain technology has, you know, really caught on the fascination of the entire world. And it seemed like um, it was very sort of uh, apparent to us that if we could mirror the two, the evolution and popularity of smartphones with the ability to vote easily, that we could um, definitely impact local elections, local partic- uh, participation, because a lot of the local elections are non-partisan. Um, and so there's, it's it's not a reason not to participate. It's actually, you know, meant for, you know, helping us, you know, helping the local government sort of govern us better from a day-to-day perspective. And so we want, that was kind of the main, uh, one of the focus areas where we thought a technology like this could really encourage the sort of the younger people, people who are not able to engage with local politics, participate. The the participation numbers for our local elections in this country are really grim, and it is it's a massive, massive problem. Uh, at the same time, our polling systems seem so antiquated. Why why hasn't there been more innovation in this space? Yeah, it's 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 a good good question. I think um, it's a combination of of factors. Um, there's um, a general aversion to change when it comes to both election technology and polling technology. There there is a way, certain way of preset way of doing things, which has kind of been institutionalized. Um, and change is hard and there is less incentive to change because uh, change involves uh, at least initially some extra expenditure and so anytime there's an extra cost involved even though in the future by using something new you might reduce your cost there's that you know one time hit which is always a barrier secondly you know trying something new from from a regulatory perspective is always uh, filled with um, ch- 
challenges and in controversy because there are people who will oppose anything new for for a host of reasons and so that has largely contributed to um startups and technology companies and other um groups staying away from from this industry because there are honestly far easier industries to you know innovate and participate in and so why would you you know almost hit your head against the wall on a daily basis and you know try and make you know almost like push a rock up a hill kind of experience and but at the same time it's also an opportunity if you can somehow push the rock up the hill even if it's you know bit by bit then you can impact real change so it's a challenge but also a hard opportunity nimit you have told me in at, at a number of occasions that you were warned before you even launched the company that this was going to be a tough one what what was it that um are you just a glutton for punishment or was there something that you uh saw that could be fixed yes <clears throat> so uh as as we were talking about the the hackathon a uh, few few minutes ago the the investor who also happened to be one of the jurors for the for the prize uh even though he decided to give us the first prize later on told us that it's a good idea for a competition just don't do it because it's the hardest thing you'll ever do and <laughs> <laughs> there'll be lots of people who will be you know trying to pull you down and make sure you never succeed and uh, obviously that the meeting was was short but and we were disappointed to hear his comments but as we as we went back home and you know thought about it for a few months we realized that there's genuine hunger for for change that people really want something to change and there are very few people who are in a position to do to that change and so we considered it sort of our good fortune that we had at least one piece of the puzzle which is a potential technology solution so we we can't overnight solve the legislative challenges the regulatory challenges and you know the the narrative out there about security but we can definitely solve the you know the technical and the sort of the technological challenge and so that was a big motivator and also um for those of us who were from the entrepreneurial dna the the fact that somebody tells you something's too hard to do it do something is is also a, a more often than not a very strong motivating factor so that i'd say uh, had we not been in a in a space where we had some form of you know technology knowledge uh, we probably wouldn't have done it it just seemed like we had that piece with us so we could push the needle however however small that may be and also you know the fact that so many people had you know told us not to do it including this investor was was by itself also a motivating <laughs> factor <laughs> so yeah you could you could call it a glutton for pain or <laughs> yes. that's that's funny well um there certainly is an appetite for change but there also are many forces fighting against change uh who who or what are these forces 
that are so opposed to change. That's yeah, that's a fascinating um, aspect to to dive into. Um, without so we would classify them as two groups of people um, without you know getting too too political or too sort of scientific. One group of people um, who are you know more sort of from the political realm, there is a perception that if you know certain kind of new technology were to come in play and a larger demographic of people started to vote that somehow it would be detrimental to their future prospects. It's not backed by fact, in our opinion, because the data we see is if, if more people vote, um, it's not a given that, you know, one side is advantaged over the other because, largely speaking, people, when they make decisions, they are, you know, they're looking at their personal pocketbooks and, you know, their morals and values. And so generally the vast majority of the country would would fall in the middle and if the political narrative is is in the middle then you can you can create that you know sort of path and so uh that was one but there is there is the notion and so some of that opposition comes from from that belief the second group is is more um sort of academic and um we call it unscientific so the last couple of decades um, there has been um, quite a bit of uh, activity in trying to experiment with online voting in many parts of the world and this group of people their main agenda has been that because the internet just as an infrastructure was was created um, many many decades ago when security wasn't the main focus that that inherent um, architectural decision makes it permanently unsafe to do any kind of sensitive technology or transaction on the internet and for that reason they always oppose any any kind of innovation any kind of progress in the in the online voting space and they they do it in a way where they create fear and fear is very powerful where you don't have to prove that something's bad you just have to create a fear around it and so they've been very successful at that over the years and so we we run into both of those forces um, and they are very powerful sometimes have large voices and pocketbooks so definitely not for the faint-hearted to go up against forces like that it, it really is astounding uh the level of fear particularly given that all of our banking information, our personal healthcare information, even our connection to our nuclear arsenal is all connected in some way or another. And yet um, voting does stand out as one of those areas where um, there is a lot of resistance. Uh, so your task does very much uh, become how do you make people come along? How, how are you approaching this big question from the, from the point of view of marshalling the troops and the voices of uh, what will certainly eventually be here to get them on board? Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so the, the approach we felt like had the best chance of 
succeeding or you know making incremental progress is the idea of doing you know well designed experiments well designed pilots and use it um in kind of an incremental way and focus on specific voting demographics who are the most disadvantaged so if you look at the wider voting population there are certain groups um for example citizens living overseas deployed military voters and their families who are traditionally very disadvantaged because they can't obviously come and vote in person postal is not usually a reliable option for them and their only other options in some jurisdictions are email or fax which are not exactly private or safe and so as a result very few of those vote so just in terms of overseas citizens just like 7% vote and if you look at that demographic total out of 5 million eligible voters just about a million votes so overall like 20% participation which is way way lower than you know the normal rest of the country population so that's one disadvantaged demographic the other one is the voters with any kind of disability who are um, know still voting a few percentage points below the rest of the population because some of them can't mark a paper ballot they can't go to a polling station where some machine might be available for them to to participate um so we decide to focus on those those two demographics and uh, see if we could drive incremental change with doing pilots with a really small number of voters and with each pilot evaluate improve iterate and so that's kind of been our our focus uh, although we do do non governmental elections as well if you like to make progress in the government space not only do you need validation from outside the election space we also need sort of people who are actually there in in the trenches and so we've had the good fortune of collaborating with some very forward looking um election officials from both sides of the aisle who've uh, helped facilitate these these pilots and have uh, enabled um the ball to move forward and right now we're in the midst of our 11th pilot so yeah. very fortunate that we had this opportunity because you feel like it's a it's a once in a once in a generation opportunity you, you know with uh, our increasingly aging population and now that we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic um your the constituencies you serve um you know servicemen and women uh, overseas and uh people with disabilities seems to have not just expanded but uh taken on a new urgency how how are the events of today uh impacting how you're looking at um mobile balloting and how you're approaching uh election officials and 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 the business overall yes so the the covid-19 situation has definitely created um a lot of uncertainty and unfortunately also exposed a severe lack of resiliency in our existing voting system so we've we've seen that in multiple elections just uh, few uh, few days ago last week in, in Georgia and um, some of the other states as well and one of the the consequences of of um, of this lack of resiliency is that there is there's literally no 
backup option. And so there is a scramble to implement uh, postal um, mail ballots for the vast part of the country. And that logistically is hard to implement in a short time frame because there's so many things that need to be done to make that you know foolproof and reliable and all the things which are necessary for doing a really critical election. And, and so we have been approached by several um, uh, entities. Um, we've had a lot of interest from the political parties because a lot of the political conventions, the state conventions where they actually vote to select candidates for the, for the primaries and then the eventual elections later in the year, they've all gotten disrupted because a lot of the in-person events have gotten canceled. So we've been able to do uh, convert a lot of these elections to fully virtual where people can vote uh, from their homes using uh, using a phone uh, or, or a tablet. And so that's it's kept us really busy over the last few months, and we've had good success in in a few states, such as uh, Utah, Arizona, and now working on a similar initiative in um, South Dakota as well. So it's been a very interesting learning experience at the same time, given us a lot of confidence that, you know, mobile voting and this idea of using technology to supplement wherever the, the holes exist in the current system is actually a viable alternative. And so we've collected a lot of evidence around that and looking forward to do more and more of these uh, elections which which come our way. It, it certainly is in the national consciousness now and there's a lot of conversation from you know presidential tweets down down to news outlets and political parties and what have you much of it um, heated tinged with uh, not just um, uh, passion but emotion how, how do you keep your head above the agendas and the politics of this national dialogue and keep your eyes on the prize? It's, um, it's definitely not easy. Um, I think um, a lot of it is you have to turn off at times. So um, I actually ended up turning off the TV. I, disconnected my cable connection because I was just, the news was frankly so distracting and disappointing and, you know, in, in many ways depressing as well. And you know, we are able to catch up on the news on the phone and, and the internet. So, so I definitely had to disengage and disconnect from a lot of that visual and, you know, digital and kind of audio stimulus to fo keep keep the focus because you're right um if if you just keep listening to to the narrative then it, it can get very demotivating demoralizing and um it certainly isn't helpful for us as a as a startup because um we 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 are optimists. That's why we are in a startup. We need to look to the future. We need to look at the, the positive side of things that we could do. And and so for me personally, I think, especially during this phase where most of us have been very isolated and, you know, less 
in-person interaction with people. I think just sort of disengaging from some of those um, visual and, you know, digital um, sources to you know, keep that incoming um, data to, to the minimum. That's mostly necessary for, for us to function and then leaving the rest for, you know, some other time. Yeah. I think that's helped. Uh, I'm sure there are far, um, far more efficient ways and you know, other uh, wise people may have better ideas, but that's something really simple that, that worked for me. I, th I think those are wise words and uh, more of us need to, uh, to think along those lines. Now, speaking just as a entrepreneur, as an innovator, as um, someone who is uh, doing things differently, uh, wh why is it important for us to challenge the status quo and what are the associated dangers of doing so? Yes, um, I think, I mean, we as, as human beings are, you know, meant, meant to evolve. If, if we hadn't challenged things throughout our evolution and history, we would all, you know, still be in the Stone Age or the Bronze Age and there would be very little um, sort of progress and innovation. So I think um, the idea of questioning things um, in a critical way and finding ways to make them better is, is, is really, really important. And a really good example is, um, you know, the, the initiative around going to space and, you know, the kind of the race to the moon, which, which happened in the 60s, you could argue from a, from a financial perspective or have argued at that time that this was a giant waste of money. Why do we need to go to, go to the moon and spend billions of dollars on, on, on that research and you know, all the, the risk that was taken to finally make, you know, make that kind of dream come true? But we realize now how the ancillary benefits of that were, were tremendous. The space program led to so much innovation in other areas, uh, and to sometimes, you know, as as a as a species, we tend to focus more on the short term and sort of ignore, you know, the long term. And I think um, it's really important to to pause uh, and see what. What works right now might not work in the in the future, and so in in our case, the the good example, which is also a scary example, a few years ago, Pew, which is one of the most reputable uh, research firms, did a uh, did a case study where they projected that a couple of election cycles from now, if the electoral process doesn't change, i.e., how people are allowed to vote. We may end up with a situation where our entire demographic of people don't vote, and we, we may have like just a quarter of the country or a third of the country voting uh, permanently. And is that it's a it's a scary scenario because then can you really call yourself a democracy if the vast majority of people are not participating? And you look at the younger demographics; they live their lives on a smartphone. Um, they don't know how to buy a postage stamp, and so. <laughs> Many of them have never written a check in their <laughs> lives. Um, and so I think people have this urge that they want to be able to transact 
um, just like they lead their normal lives. And one of those transactions happens to be the act of voting. And so if, if we don't find ways to adjust how we do things to the way people are intending to lead their lives in the future, then there will always be disconnect. And I think that's something we have to keep in mind and keep questioning how things are currently done. And there's always a better way. And I think that's the quest which keeps the keeps the human race going and evolving. And we, we can't we can't ever stop that because that that might just be the end of us. Nimit, what does the world need now more than anything else? I would say hope. I think over the last many months, it's been. Um, it's been a crisis of you know many proportions. Obviously, there's the there's the medical side of it. There's a concern about how you know how safe can we be from a from a health perspective. But there are wider ramifications. There's been a massive disruption to the economy. Certain sectors of the economy have been really really impacted. If you look at you know tourism, travel, hospitality, and several other restaurants don't have outdoor seating as an example and so a lot of people are hurting and there doesn't seem to be too much of a light at the end of the tunnel unfortunately because almost every part of the world is struggling with other problems some geopolitical issues some you know, natural issues and you know internal strife and economic problems and i think as a collective um, the, the world could use use some hope, and I think one one really good example of of uh, how sometimes you know pausing and looking at how things uh, things have been done in the past was, was an example it was from several several of the developing countries where economies shut down for for a couple of months, and you had some of the world's most polluted rivers over a period of two months. Um, dramatically improve birds and plants showed up. You could see the bottom of the of the river, and in a sense, nature healed itself. And I think we can use that as a as a insp- small measure of inspiration to say we need to coexist with nature and we need to create that hope. And there is there is a positivity to this, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that I feel like. Um, coexisting with, with the forces at play here is in a hopeful way. I would say that would, in my humble opinion, be very helpful for a lot of us. I could not agree more. Nimit, you are truly inspirational. Thank you for your time and your participation in this podcast. I'm sure we will be talking very, very soon, um, but this is really, really terrific. And uh, hats off to you. Thank you. Thank you, Robert, for having me here. I want to thank Nimit once again for his time and insights into the future of voting. You can learn more about votes at votes.com. That's V-O-A-T-Z.com. You can learn more about Hudson Cutler and listen to all of our Ideas with Purpose podcasts at HudsonCutler.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.